So I'd like us to go back 2,000 years ago. Maybe you can do it in your mind. 2,000 years ago and go back to that first Christmas. And you know what amazes me about that first Christmas? is how few people were actually there at the first Christmas. And my first question to you is this. Why were there so few people there? In fact, that's how I want to spend most of the morning. Is I want to talk about the people that were not there. At the first Christmas. In fact, the first person who was not there was, of course, King Herod. Skip, can you put up the various verses out of Matthew and chapter 2? Some of this you know. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Put up the rest of them, Skip. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. I like to say that King Herod had the gift of unhappiness. Do you know anybody like that? You know, the reality is King Herod was actually a miserable man, and he gave the gift of misery to everyone around him. In fact, Herod was a narcissistic, neurotic, paranoid control freak. Other than that, he was a pretty good guy. I mean, how would you like to be married to a man like King Herod? Herod killed his brother-in-law. Herod also killed one of his mother-in-laws. I could probably see that. No, I'm just kidding. He also killed one of his wives. Herod also killed two of his sons. And as we just saw in the text, Herod killed numerous male babies under the age of two. In anyone's book, Herod would be written as a very bad man. He's a very cruel man. I mean, he would be classified along with Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot. I mean, it's easy to marginalize a guy like King Herod and just say that the guy was a freak of nature. But my question to you is this, is King Herod really that different from us? And I don't think Herod really is that different from us. Because do you know what was controlling King Herod at the very heart of him? Fear. King Herod was afraid. He was afraid of losing his position. King Herod was afraid of losing his power. King Herod was afraid of losing the lifestyle that he had grown so accustomed to. King Herod was afraid of not being remembered. 
And when he caught wind that a Messiah, a king was to be born in Bethlehem just six miles away, the guy freaks out. I mean, his fear goes in overdrive and he seeks to kill this young would-be Messiah. See, I don't think Herod really is that different than us. See, I think what controls most people when it comes to it is fear. Don't we really fear losing control of our lives? Don't we fear that we will lose and not have the ability to have what we want? Are we really that much different than Herod? Skip, can you put up the picture? Not that picture. He's ugly. That picture. Now, don't we love that picture? I mean, there is Jesus. He's the baby. He, I mean, really, doesn't he give us the warm fuzzies? Doesn't he make us feel good? I mean, do you wonder why Christmas Eve service, Christmas Eve services are going to be in two weeks, and they are going to be filled. The churches will be filled, and we'll be talking about the baby Jesus, and everybody loves the baby Jesus. Now, Skip, can you put up the next picture? How do you feel about that, Jesus? See, we're not, ooh, I heard some groans. We're not so wild about that Jesus, are we? See, that is the judging Jesus. That is the Jesus whom we are going to be accountable to. Now, that doesn't make us so excited, does it? But each and every one of us is not going to appear before the baby Jesus. See, baby Jesus grew up. He died. He died for our sins. He rose again. He got a new body, an eternal body, a glorified body. That is what he looks like now. That is who he will appear before. And guess what? Remember I asked you a penetrating question a week ago? Here's the question I asked you a week ago. If God were in charge of your time, if God were in charge of your time, how would you really spend it? How about if God were in charge of your money? Would you buy the things that you buy? Are you sure that you would? If if you knew that Jesus was going to actually give you an accounting of how you spent your money and your time, would you spend your time that way? Would you spend your money that way? You see, King Herod, he didn't want another king. No, see, I, I, I do appreciate Herod for his honesty. He absolutely did not want someone messing around in his life and cramping his lifestyle. He wanted to get rid of this guy. How about you? How about you? See, the question this morning is, who's really king of your life? Really? All right, well, there was a second person, a second person who missed Christmas, or really a second group of people who miss Christmas. Uh, And actually, there's somewhat of a surprise. Skip, can you put up the picture? You know, I would have thought for the world that these guys would not have missed Christmas. This, of course, is the religious leaders. You know, uh, when, when the wise men came to Jerusalem, most people don't realize they created quite a stir. Did you know that? I mean, there's a huge entourage, about 100 or so come. With all of the animals. There's just this huge entourage coming. They create a stir in Jerusalem. And they make a beeline for Herod. And they ask Herod. Herod. Can you tell us where this king. This Messiah is to be born. Herod doesn't know. He's clueless. So he calls the religious leaders. You know. Guys like me. Men of the cloth. And they come in. And they laconically say. You know Herod. 
I think it's, it's in Micah 5 too. Micah writes about 700 years ago. And he wrote these words. But you, O Bethlehem of Paphrata, are the only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from distant paths. They say, Herod, according to Micah 5, 2, remember this is like 700 years before Jesus is born. They say the Messiah, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, you know what blows me away? Is these guys had all the excitement, these religious leaders, of uh, in passion, of an amoeba in heat. No, I mean, I mean they, 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 they just laconically go through it. Do you realize that Bethlehem is simply six miles away from Judah? Skip, can you put up the map? Just six miles away. Do you realize that the wise men who came traveled a thousand miles over the fertile crescent? They see this incredible star. And they come to Herod. They come to these religious leaders. And they say, we have seen the star of your Messiah. Your king. I mean, I would have jumped up on my two-hump camel. And I mean, I would have made a beeline for Bethlehem. I mean, do you understand? These are the religious leaders for over a thousand years. Do you know what they're waiting for? Do you know what the pinnacle of Judaism is? The Messiah. In fact, if you go to Orthodox Jews today, do you know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for the Messiah. And these guys don't even show up. They don't even show up. I'm blown away. I'm a man of the cloth. What's the deal with them? I'll tell you what's the deal with them. The religion had become ritual. They were going through the religious motions. They had lost their passion, their passion for God a long, long time ago. Isn't that sad? They had lost their passion a long time ago. Do you know anyone like that? You know what happens. It really does happen. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And the last church he writes to is the church at Laodicea. Skip, can you put up those verses? He writes these stinging words to the church at Laodicea. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, see, that's really a gentle reading. You know what it literally says in the Greek? It says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Have you ever been in a passionless relationship? Do you know what it's like to be, if you're married, in a passionless relationship? You know that your spouse no longer has passion for you. I mean, it's like a dagger in the heart. And let me tell you something. It's no different with Jesus. Jesus will not tolerate He will not tolerate a passionless relationship. In fact, in the first letter he wrote to the churches in Revelation is the church at Ephesus. And he wrote these words to the church at Ephesus. Look what he wrote. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Wow. 
Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, get your fire back. Get your fire back for me. If you do not return back to when you first got saved. Remember when you first got saved? Do you remember that? I mean, it felt like the weight of the world was off your shoulders. You were born again. You were excited for Jesus. You were excited for the things of God. And and, and, and what Jesus is saying, do you remember that time? Is there a time that that occurred in your life? Because if you don't return back to it, he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your lampstand. You know, my guess is there are some here this morning, the first thing you need to do, maybe even just right now, Maybe just right now is you just got to get on your knees and say, oh, God, just forgive me. Just forgive me from just going through the religious motions. Forgive me for allowing the world. I've seen so many people, especially at Christmas time, it's supposed to be an incredible time, and they just allow the world just to, crank, just, just to, to squeeze on in. One thing after another, whether it's job, whether it's this thing or that thing, this problem or that problem. And they just allow everything to squeeze Jesus out. And he becomes third or maybe fourth or maybe fifth or maybe sixth or maybe tenth on your list. And, 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 and the greatest thing you can do right now, Jesus says, repent. And, and he's here in open arms and he, he just says, I want you to repent. Repent of your worldliness. Repent of allowing all this idols and all this stuff in that squeezes them out so that you don't miss Christmas. It's the greatest thing you could do. It's the greatest gift you could give yourself because you know what? Jesus is such a forgiving God. Do you know that? He's just waiting for so many of us right now. He said, don't you understand? I'm sick and tired of a passionless relationship. I won't tolerate it. But if you repent, you'll find me right there. Well, you know, some say there was a third person who missed Christmas. Skip, can you put up his picture? You know, some people say that uh, the innkeeper missed the first Christmas. He's probably the most maligned person in all of history. Did you know that? You say, well, why is that? Because the reason why he was the most maligned person is because there wasn't an innkeeper. Skip, can you put up Luke chapter 2? Here's a familiar passage that's kind of abused. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census had to be taken for all the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Do you see any innkeeper there? Yes, no, just... just just move your head if you're alive right now. No, see, there's an, it says in, so we assume innkeeper, right? Bad translation. You can look up the Greek word yourself. You know what the Greek word almost always says? House. 
big room. They came to a house. They came to a big room. So more than likely what happened is Mary and Joseph, they're, they're traveling from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem because, you see, that's where, they, that, 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 that's where he was from. That's where Joseph was from. And he pulls up to probably the house of a relative. Skip, can you put up the picture? He pulls up to a house of a relative, and guess what? The rooms are all filled up. But see, what we don't know is, notice the animals were part of the house back 2,000 years ago. And so they pull up to a relative's house of Joseph. says, sorry, all the rooms upstairs are taken. But you know what? Where the animals are, that's open. I'm going to give you that room. Now, that, that actually would give privacy. She, she was having a baby. She was going into labor. So it would actually be nice to give her a little privacy. It was also enclosed, so for some protection. You're saying, well, what's your point? My point is there was no innkeeper. There was no heartless innkeeper who was turning away a woman in labor. Okay, so just lay off the innkeeper. Because <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of sermons, really. In the next two weeks. Listen to how many sermons you hear about this poor innkeeper who just doesn't exist, all right? But there is a third group of people I want you to know that actually did miss Christmas. You know who that third group of people is? The third group of people were the people of Bethlehem. The people of Bethlehem. Skip, can you put up the picture? 2,000 years ago, a star like that appeared in the sky. They're in Bethlehem. How many people in Bethlehem do you think saw, saw, saw that star? Everybody? Hi, let me ask you this question. How many people do you think took really note of that star and go, wow, that's, a, that's an incredible star. I wonder if that's the prophecy in number, that a star shall rise out of Jacob. Anybody think that? See, I don't think so. They probably went, yeah, that's, that's. Hey, Edith, Edith, isn't that an awesome star? Can you make, me, can, can you make dinner now? And they get on with the tyranny of the urgent. See, I think most of the people in Bethlehem missed the first Christmas because they're busy. Do you know that they say Americans have a new sickness? You know what the new sickness is? It's called hurry sickness. We're the only country that has named a mountain Rushmore. Some of you want to think about that. You know, we really do suffer from hurry sickness, and I want to get practical here as we, as we move toward the end. You're saying, well, how can I know if I suffer from hurry sickness? There are four symptoms of people who suffer from hurry sickness. Symptom number one, looking for ways to speed up daily activities. Looking for, so you might want to write these down to see if, how well you do on it, all right? Four symptoms of a hurry sick person. Symptom number one, looking for ways to speed up your daily activities. Let's talk about Price Chopper for a moment. You go to Price Chopper, it's the holidays. You know, you get all your holiday shopping done, and then you go to the checkout area, and it's a checkout nightmare. No, I mean, there's, there's carts everywhere. And you're looking and you're counting and you're figuring out which one is the fastest line, right? So you finally choose the fastest line. And after you get in your line, then you know what you do? You look over at the next line and you begin to count the people to find out where you would have been if you had chosen that line. And then you keep looking at that person, don't you? And if they're moving slower than you, you're all jacked up. Yes, yes, I'm winning. 
But if that person is moving faster than you, oh, oh, then all of a sudden you're angry and you're frustrated out of your gourd. See, if that's you, and you know if it's you, then you suffer from hurry sickness. Symptom number two of a hurry sick person. Symptom number two, polyphasic activity. You know what polyphasic activity is? Polyphasic activity is where you try to do more things, more than one thing at a time. A good place for this to occur is in the car. You're driving along. Now, I know none of you do this, okay? So we're, we're talking about everybody out there. But you're driving along and you suddenly pull along somebody and you notice they're doing polyphasic activity. And you say, well, what is that? Well, what that means is you first notice that they're eating. And then they're drinking coffee. And then they're, you know, they're monitoring the radio. And then they may be putting their makeup on or shaving. And then they're talking on, the, on, on their telephone, on their cell phone. And then they're making various gestures to other drivers all while driving. That's polyphasic activity. And if this is you, and if you know if it's you, if this is you, then you suffer from hurry sickness. Symptom number three of hurry sickness. Symptom number three is an inability to just relax. An inability to just relax. Now, you can always see these people on vacation. Can't miss them. Have you ever gone to a beach and you'll see a guy there and he's got the umbrella going, you know, he's under the umbrella and he's got his laptop on his lap. He's looking at his email and you see him on his cell phone and he's cutting business deals on his cell phone. See, if that's you and you know who you are, then you're suffering from hurry sickness. Now, let me give you symptom number four of a hurry sick person. And this is perhaps the most serious symptom of hurry sickness, a diminished capacity to love. You see, it is not possible to love and be busy at the same time. It is not possible to love and be hurried and busy at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. They are incompatible. Let me give you a quick quiz. You're driving along, and as you're driving, you see someone on the side of the road who needs help. And as you come closer to them, do you A, pray that someone else will stop and help them? B, pretend that you do not see them. C, you come up to them, you roll your window down, and you tell them, my car is a sanctuary where I pray. Is there anything that I can be praying for you for? And then you roll your window back up and then you drive off. Or do you do D? Do you actually stop and help them? Or how about this? You're coming home from work. You're bone tired. I mean, you're just ragged. And you just want to relax. So you flip on the zombie tube. And lo and behold, you get the zombie tube on. And no sooner do you get the zombie tube on and then one of your children come up to you and say, you know, I need a little bit of your time. What do you do? Do you A, say to your child, can we take a rain check? Or do you B, say, can you go talk to your mother? Or if your father, if that fits the case. Or C, do you say, is this really important? Or D, do you turn the zombie tube off? And you say, sure, I got some time. Shoot, let me hear what you got. By the way, if you're wondering what the correct answers are, 
to those two short quizzes, that would be D. D would be the correct answer. And if you cannot honestly answer D, then you suffer from hurry sickness. And you know what the reality is? All kidding aside, the vast majority of Americans suffer from hurry sickness. We are caught up, we are enslaved to the tyranny of the urgent. And you know what the end result is? Here's the end result. We end up doing some nice temporal things for people. But guess what? We miss God. We miss what God is doing. And we very rarely do that, which has eternal ramifications. If you are caught up in the tyranny of the urgent, I'm not saying that you don't do nice things for people, but they're usually temporal things. There are things that that get the job done right then and there at the moment and only have temporal ramifications. And it's so sad because when we're caught up in the tyranny of the urgent, very rarely can you see God. Can you see what he's doing out there in the world, in your world? And so often we miss doing those things that really have eternal ramifications. See, that was the problem with the people in Bethlehem. They weren't bad people. They weren't horrible people. But they were caught up in busyness, in the mundane. And they missed the spectacular. They missed the eternal. Well, as we close, I want to talk about one group of people that were there at the first Christmas, and this is the challenge this morning. Do you know who was actually there at the first Christmas? Skip put up the picture. The shepherds were actually there at the first Christmas. Skip, can you put up those well-known verses? It says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Meshach, the Lord. He has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. Heaven and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You know what I find fantastic? The God of the universe... No, think about it. The God of the universe gives a special divine invitation to the stinking, smelly shepherds. Why? Let me just kind of give you a feel for this if I can. 
This is kind of interesting. When Prince William was born on June 21st, 1982 to Prince Charles and Lady Diana, they sent out royal announcements to the Prime Minister of England, to the members of Parliament, the President of the United States received one, other heads of state, various other famous people, and some close personal friends. They all received the royal announcement. As far as I know, though, no truck drivers... No construction workers or carnival workers received a royal announcement announcing the birth of Prince William. In fact, I didn't receive one. Anyone out here received one. You didn't receive one either. And what is absolutely astounding to me is that God, the creator of the entire universe, picked out. No, he picks out the dregs of Israelite society. Do you understand that? The shepherds were scum. They were nothing. And he picks them out to give them a divine announcement. Why? Perhaps this will be the answer. Do you know if you go to Bethlehem today where Jesus was born, there's actually a small cathedral there in Bethlehem? And it marks the supposed birthplace of Jesus. And if you walk into the church, there's a high altar. And behind the high altar, there is a cave. And it is lit by many silver lamps. Now, you can enter this ancient cathedral standing up, walking. And you can admire the the, the structure of this ancient cathedral. You can also, by the way, you can also go and enter the cave where there is a star actually embedded into the stone floor, which is a supposed place where Jesus was actually born right there on that spot. There's a star. But there is one stipulation. In order for you to enter that cavern, that cave, you must stoop or you must kneel to go. Do you see the man kneeling? to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, in this world, you can stand tall. You can be in this world and be very prideful and very arrogant. But if you want to see, if you really want to experience Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then it must be on your knees. That night, when the baby Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born, King Herod was busy trying to figure out how he could control his life and keep everything together so that he could keep his life the way he wanted it. The religious leaders, they were busy. They were having another dry, dusty religious service. They were going through the religious motions. The people of Bethlehem, they were busy. They were scurrying about. They were busy with the tyranny of the urgent. And then there were the shepherds. And the shepherds came. And the shepherds, they kneeled before the king of kings and the lord of lords. They worshiped. Why? Because, you see, they were looking for good news. They were looking for a king, a savior. What are you looking for? What are you looking for?
are you looking for? See, it really matters. It really matters. Because the only way you can see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is on your knees, worshiping him. Will you really experience the first Christmas? Will you experience or will you miss it again? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Father, in the quietness of the moment, may you, Holy Spirit, just begin to work in our hearts. Which one are we most like? Are we most like Herod? Do we find ourselves most like the religious leader? Do we find ourselves maybe perhaps like the people of the town of Bethlehem? Or are we really like the shepherds who were broken? Who realized this world had nothing really to offer? And they were looking for the true king, the true Messiah. And they came running. And they came bowing and kneeling. And they found what they were looking for. I pray that will be true of each and every one of us here this morning. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.